Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive and glowing things about us on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star rating or review, stop what you're doing right now please give us a five-star rating or review. I'm told that this helps with algorithms. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at at clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm great, Kirk. Yes, and, and listeners, if you like this podcast, if you're a listener, please recommend it to a friend. I will reiterate what Kirk just said. Um, repetition is good. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Recommend it to a friend if you like it. Christopher, may, may I do a bit of show and tell? Please do. A, re, really a, um, a, a recommended segment on high quality podcasts everywhere across the Fruited Plains, correct? Indeed, yes. Show and tell. All right, so. I mean, well, I mean, you like my shirt, right? I love your shirt. Your, yeah. Hey, yeah. this is, hey. I guess, two-way show and tell. Two-way so show your and shirt tell. says Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. Mm-hmm. Which the, the proper way of playing the game. Only the elect know how <laughs> to play the game properly. That's right. Um, um those who uh who 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 beg Abraham for uh for a drop of water to cool their burning <laughs> tongues, those who weep and gnash their teeth, um play duck duck goose. But we in the Elysian fields um of paradise um play duck duck gray duck. Yeah, that's a re- weird quirk, right, Christopher? In yes, Minnesota, it is. Yeah. we grew up playing duck, duck, gray duck. We grew this, up eating hot dish and playing duck, duck, gray duck. And this very briefly bubbled up to the surface of national consciousness in autumn of 2017. Do you remember why? I, I can't fathom what in 2017 would have brought this to. So, do you remember the uh, the NFL loosened its restrictions on touchdown end zone celebrations? Yes. And okay, so yes. it allowed for choreographed team celebrations. So you'd have like a bunch of people sitting there and rowing a boat or pretending to like pretending to like pose. to be bowling pins and then someone yeah, yeah, bowls yeah. an imaginary ball and knocks down the pins. Yes. And it was like a lot of fun. It was creative yeah. and you'd laugh. Oh, yeah. And yeah. um the Vikings played a, a good old fashioned game of duck duck goose. Um, but uh after scoring a touchdown. But like Minnesota fans um, were, were like tweeting, yay, it's Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. And, and uh, national reporters were kind of like, what? It's what? <laughs> and for very briefly for NFL fans, they were introduced to the fact that uh, Minnesotans played Duck, Duck, Gray Duck as kids. So so there's that. Uh, my show Kirk, and tell. Kirk, yes. Kirk b- before we move to your show and tell, I just <laughs> want to say that one of your sons – favorite youtube videos is the <laughs> key and peel yes. uh, uh 
East West Bowl. East West Bowl, where with all the silly names, Hingle McCringleberry and and all those things. Well, if you Google, if you go to YouTube and look up Hingle McCringleberry, there is another video (laughs) featuring Hingle McCringleberry making fun of the absurd NFL's rules on on celebrations. And the one where it was... (laughs) You were only allowed two hip thrusts. Yes, and like, that's right. The, the ref gets there and like he does the, the two and then a pause and then the third. It's very funny. Everyone Google Hingle McKingleberry celebration. Do you know, here's funny. here's a here's NFL and humor and, and and humor trivia. Do you know what NFL player's name uh, triggered that creative burst by Key and Peel? So they were watching football and they saw a guy's name and they're like, "That's not a name. That's a name." And they're it's like, hey, the former Packers safety from Alabama. I forget Ha-ha his name. Clinton Dix. Ha ha Clinton no. Dix. No, but that was great. That, uh, okay. For a while, the Packers had their two safeties were Atari Bigby and Ha ha Clinton Dix. But no, no, it was Debrickishaw Ferguson. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Debrickishaw. UVA's own. <laughs> yeah. And like, he was like really good too, but. He's really, really good. He's a <laughs> first round pick and, and uh, scholarly, I believe. Like he went to UVA, you know, but like his, his name, like Debrickishaw. <laughs> and yeah, either Key or Pill, they were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and the skit just kind of came to them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Show me your t-shirts, Kurt. My t-shirt says wine tasting tea ca- uh, team captain. Wine tasting team captain. I came home today and I saw two shirts very uh um displayed in in a manner attend intended to grab my attention on my dresser um because they had come in the mail today my wife had set them out she had ordered them unbeknownst to me um so this one says wine tasting team captain and it shows beneath it like three different bottles of wine and then like three different glasses be kind of beside it two reds and a white and this one says save water drink wine and this is all in anticipation of our Finger Lakes trip. We're going on a wine tour in a couple of weeks, Christopher. This is your third trip this into New York. Third or fourth? Fourth? Yeah, maybe it's a it's, it's a good thing to to lose track. I An annual pilgrimage, almost. Yeah, it was uh, put on hiatus last year because every everything was shut down. But this is a, a happy sign that um, kind of. The, the, the fun things in life that we can do socially together we're, we're going to be able to do and in the state of new york so which which had been very much shut down so i'm very much looking forward to that and uh i i, I wish there was a third shirt <laughs> that i that i could wear because this is one of my uh, x-men powers i have i have several x-men powers um but one of them is i can turn wine into water and i intend to do a bit of that on the uh, on this wine tasting tour Boo. <laughs> uh yeah so i mean one might say kirk that you love new york wine country i uh, it's i mean probably when i finally get to go to napa i'll be like what the heck was i ever doing like in western new york but the christopher honestly the finger lakes i know i've shared pictures with you mm-hmm. it is in some ways reminiscent of northern minnesota you've got yeah, lakes yeah. and forests you got the water and then if you have the microclimate that are created by these, these um, really deep glacial lakes. It, I, I describe it to people, it looks like God finger painted, right? There are about five or six um, lakes that run north and south parallel to each other. Um, obviously glacial lakes, right? But almost like God was having fun. I, I often say the Appalachian Mountains are like that as well in Pennsylvania. Have you ever seen Christopher? It looks like, oh, yeah. like God just smeared his hand. I'm starting at Lancaster, like 
like uh, in Harrisburg West, and then like took a 45 and then a 90 degree turn down into uh, West Virginia across Western Pennsylvania. All of which but, is very interesting, but I was trying to hand feed you a segue. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll get to this. We'll get to the segue. Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm like, like a Bruckner symphony. I take a while to warm to my theme. So, so yeah, no, I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy the Finger Lakes. Um, and what was I saying? Let me take a sip of coffee. Microclimates. Um, mm, the microclimates imitate uh, the German microclimate on the Mosul River and on the Rhine. So it's actually German whites like, um, like Riesling. Gewürztraminer. Gewürztraminer, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so, so there is some Pinot Noir. Do you know what Germans call it, Pinot Noir? It's something like... It's like, it's spots. Oh, shoot, I forget it. Yeah, it's something... Pinot Noir is definitely sat. You, you, it sounds like you want to drink Pinot Noir. Like the German thing, you're like, holy crap, is that like the medicine I have to take tonight? But yeah, yeah there's the, a bit of uh, German Pinot Noirs are, are very good, but I've only seen them labeled as Pinot Noirs because it's probably mar- they pr- probably markets better yeah. when, when you label the. Because we in America are accustomed to seeing the varietal on the label and not the region, as is European um, custom. Trivia. Do you know how to. Um, how to read the Riesling varietal. Um, like when you see a bottle of Riesling, do you know whether it's uh, dry, semi-dry or sweet? Alcohol content? I don't know. The I color. Don't... Rieslings, color. do you ever notice Rieslings come in goofy colors? Like they come in like, cause I'm colorblind, so I'm not gonna be able to tell you. It's like yellow and green and blue. <laughs> <laughs> color yep, all that uh, great blue wine, green wine. <laughs> No, I'm not kidding you. you. You've never seen a... M- many wine bottles are tinted. Okay, so so, um, uh, brown means from the Rheingau region, so from the Rhine. Green means from Mosul. And then they switched. I'm not, I'm not kidding. They switched to blue bottles um, in the 1980s. Oh, you're saying the bottle. I'm saying okay. the bottle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, so it's you're talking about the color thing. of the wine. Okay. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yes. yes gotcha. Sir. I'm, I'm looking down my nose at you. And so, but these are only these are wine. only German Rieslings, though. That's right, that's right. But it's been imitated sure. by um, by German uh, planters who came to uh, Western sure. New York. Sure. I mean, yeah. So many of because because the... yeah, I see many blue bottles. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of the other colors I've seen. I just purchased a Washington State Riesling today, and I don't remember what color the bottle was. Um, but 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 as but as to the question you you were asking about um about Western New York. Um, I did not, I did not choose that initially when we went there, we were, uh, it was, there was a vacation where we had decided to go to New York city. And as, as it got, as we, as we got within like six weeks of it, it became clear that it just financially, like, like to go to New York city is like really expensive. And that, that was, we were tight at that point. And, um, and Kim proposed an alternate uh, New York vacation, which was wine country in, in the Finger Lakes. And, um, and that the rest is history. That's so you did not choose the Finger Lakes. I did not choose the Finger Lakes. The Finger Lakes chose me. Much you might go there and enjoy their fruit. That's, that's right. And, and I'm not bearing fruit, but I, I go to enjoy their fruit. That's right. Just like, um, we did not choose Jesus, but Jesus chose us.
This week's gospel reading comes from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, my, ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kirk, I've mentioned before how one of the key insights of the Protestant Reformation was the rediscovery of the just doctrine of justification by faith. Amen. Hear, hear. The Bible is clear that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We are saved by grace through faith, as Paul writes in Ephesians. And we are declared righteous, not because of our own merit, but because of Jesus' work on our behalf. We call this the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, and we are given this alien righteousness, this righteousness from outside of us. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, and it's considered to be ours. And this was an important rediscovery for the church. We believe in the gospel and the word gospel. So this is the gospel, but the word gospel is abused and assumed all the time yes yes first yes. it's assumed we say the word gospel and, and and then we fail to define it we don't you say know, what that it bothers is. me <laughs> that does bother me yeah yeah go on go on yeah you're we about don't say to what explain it, we don't say what it is because we assume everybody knows it but the declaration of the good news is not something that we heard once and believed and then move on to get our marching orders and then the rest of our life is just coming back to to the word to get like our instructions we need the gospel all the time because it's unnatural we're americans and americans we don't like handouts kirk would you rather work for a living or receive a government handout <laughs> uh i'd rather work you'd rather work yeah we are bootstrap people and the gospel is offensive to bootstrap people so we assume the gospel, but not only do we assume it, so we use the word all the time, but but we, and I don't mean, I mean we collectively, I try not to do this, but a friend um, shared uh, a post, a social media post that was an example of abusing the gospel. This was circulating around the interwebs, getting lots of likes and shares. Are you ready for this, Kirk? Tell me, hit me with it. All right, don't, don't take a sip of water. Okay. All right, here's the quote. The gospel is not a mere message of deliverance, but a canon of conduct. It is not a theology to be accepted, but it is ethics to be lived. Remember, they're talking about the gospel. One last thing. It is not to be believed only, 
but it is to be taken into life as a guide. Kirk, does this make any sense? Uh, no. <laughs> Can good news be a, a canon of conduct? Uh, no. Can good news be ethics? Uh, no. Is good news a guide? Uh, no. And I keep saying good news because the word gospel simply means good news. It's an announcement. Christopher, you and I have talked about this before, but the end of John chapter 20. <laughs> now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe mm. that Jesus is the Christ, the son of mm -hmm. the God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So it's just, that's straight um, up unbiblical, right? Yeah, yeah. It is by trust in him that we have new life. It is. Absolutely. So I want to emphasize the gospel today, but um, I'm ready to make everybody angry. And I'm okay with that. Ooh. Because those who understand the gospel, they talk about justification as a legal matter, which it is, right? It's judicial. It's legal. It's juridical. It's a forensic reality. In the cosmic courtroom on the last day, we're declared not just not guilty. We're declared righteous. That's what justification means. It means to be, to be declared righteous. But there's a difference between a verdict of not guilty right, and, and being declared righteous without blemish. And so the idea of justification is a forensic or judicial. They are matter. those whose robes are washed white in the blood of the lamb. Indeed. And so our, our, our Reformed and our Lutheran friends, they talk about this very well. But what I think can be lost, so this is where I'm, everyone's going to get upset with me. What I think can be lost in all this is that- Send not your only, hate mail to <laughs> Christopher.Haberman at- uh, Christopher at ResurrectionSF.com. There we go. I look forward to your emails. Uh, but what I think can be lost in all this is that we- um, as Christians, are not only free from the consequences of sin, from the eternal consequences of sin, but we are also free from the dominion of sin. And we see this most written about most clearly in Romans chapter 6, but we see it throughout the New Testament. We have new life in Christ this isn't just a forensic thing to be realized in the last day. This new life is available today. So while we declare God's gracious initiative in saving us, in, in um, initiating us into this new uh, reality, it's also important to emphasize that we are promised transformation as well. Paul wrote that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another by the power of the Holy Spirit. Charles Wesley, changed from glory into glory. Indeed. Yep. That comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Till at last we take our place. We are told by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the very life of Jesus is being manifested in our mortal flesh. And so uh, I've seen um, Reformed theologians really struggle with the efficacy, the, the idea that, that the sacraments are effective, um, especially like baptismal regeneration, because they, they think of the, the Roman Catholic idea of, of regeneration being like, essentially like, boom, you're saved because you've been washed in, in, um, uh, in the waters of baptism. But like, 
they are efficacious. The waters of baptism are efficacious. Um, and like we are told throughout the New Testament that like God is doing something inside of us. Um, and, and yet, yet our, our Lutheran friends and Reformed friends um, ha- like in an effort to to not be moralistic and to be gracious to sinners, people who are struggling with their sin, acknowledge that we live in the already and not yet, that we will never see perfection, that we will take one step forward and four steps back. We make terrible mistakes. And um, this Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. Yes. That is absolutely true. Uh, but what, what I want to emphasize is, is um, the hope that we have that God is able to work a work in us to transform us, that we, that there's hope in Christ, that we are being offered more than just deliverance from our sins on the last day, but we are offered transformation today. So um, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves by dying for us and by, by living for us. But he also, so, so that's that great exchange thing. He died for us, taking our sins, he lived for us, and we're given that righteousness. But he also does for us what we could never do for ourselves by transforming us, that we are united with him in, in his death and resurrection um, through the waters of baptism. And so some of you may see this as completely uncontroversial, but I assure you this is. <laughs> I've been working on Kirk for years now to come over to my side. <laughs> so I don't mean to mischaracterize those who disagree with me, but let me offer an insanely simplistic example of how we disagree. So many Lutherans and some Reformed folks will talk about law and gospel, or perhaps even indicatives and imperatives, which aren't complete analogs, but are are somewhat similar. Law is do. When we see something in scripture, it's like, that says do this. That's law. Gospel is done. This has been done. So imperatives are verbs that are calling us to do something. And indicatives just tell us what's done. And those who disagree see imperatives as hostile. So so, uh, mostly, I mean, they like law and imperatives, they show us, right. Yep. They show us the way of righteousness, right? Yeah. They show us how to live. Um, They, they do act as, as a community, a helping community, help us to live in community um, by kind of making sure that we are kind to one another and aren't at each other's throats, but more than anything, they show us how we are sinful and how we need to repent, that the law drives us to our knees. And I'm totally with them on this. And there's complexity that I'm not getting into, but I'm like mostly, mostly with them. So here's what I want to ask. Can you imagine if God doesn't offer transformation? Let me, uh, let me read a brief passage from the book of Colossians and just think about how hard these words would be to hear if God does not empower us to fulfill them. So this is Colossians chapter three, verses one through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There we go with that transformation. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, and this is common in Paul's epistles, put off these things, put on these things. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listener, I, if you don't believe that Christ empowers us to be transformed, this, these are hard words to hear. So, Kirk, I'm going to try to land this plane. Okay. I know I'm right. getting a little shaky here. The controls are like jiggling and rattling let's see if i can do this this is like uh like you're you're, you're trying to land a plane in a um like a <laughs> like a, uh, a mountain runway in the andes <laughs> mountains where you have to have and to have come a tailwind the not a headwind just, just perfectly and mm. then like hit the hit the what i don't even know like vocabulary hit the not the throttle the thing all right land the plane land it in today's gospel reading jesus uses the word command or commandment five times five times now, if he doesn't empower us to fulfill these commandments, these are really, really hard words. They're, they're, they're merely words of condemnation. And, and we're told by Paul that there is no, therefore, no condemnation. Keeping yokes upon them, which they mm. cannot possibly keep, mm. cannot possibly bear. Yes. Where did we just read that? Well, I just read that last week. It's, it wasn't in our gospel reading. That came, right. comes from Matthew. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But, uh, as, as, as my New Testament professor um, Dr. Paul Rainbow wrote in his book, The Way of Salvation, he wrote, an imposed obedience gives way to responsiveness that springs from shared understanding, which is kind of a, a, a out of context, complicated sentence. But he's saying like, when Jesus says to obey, <laughs> um, he gives us the ability to respond. And that springs from a shared understanding. So Jesus says, you are no longer my servants. I call you friends. Okay. And friends, um, what Paul Rainbow is saying here is, is that uh, a, a master has no responsibility to share with his servant the reason behind his commandments. But as, uh, as a friend, um, there's a mutual understanding that happens, that we, we see Christ in, in all of his ministry, and we see the promise of Jeremiah 31, which we mentioned several weeks ago, that I will write my law within you. 
is coming to pass through the Holy Spirit that we understand now in a new way and we obey. Um, that, uh, and if we look at the collect of the day, it, it goes like this, Kirk. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which can which exceed all that we can desire. Like we're basically saying all these things you've revealed to us, help us to do them. And um, so this, this is a continuation of the final discourse. It builds on last week's, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And just as he said that, he's, just as he said that last week, he says, now, um, if you remain faithful, you will abide in my love. Just as, and, and, and he gives one final command and then I'll shut up and <laughs> pass you the baton. He says, love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> And the word friend, which he uses here, comes from the word to love, um, which doesn't come through in the translation. Like our, our word, English word friend isn't linguistically related to love. Um, when we talk about phileo, right? Um, oh, shoot. I, I said Greek. I, I usually try not to use Greek words. But um, he, he defines humble, what, humble brag. <laughs> he defines <laughs> what friendship looks like. What does it look like, Kirk? Uh, laying down one's life. Lay down one's life for a friend. And so he's, he, yeah, he's saying maybe like lay down your life for your friends. But more than anything, this is an indicative, isn't it? Yeah. He's like, I'm going to show you this love because yeah. I'm going to lay down my life for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. Um, I am, uh, you've outed me. <laughs> I do have a very Lutheran um, understanding of, of law and gospel. Um, I don't, unlike some of our radical Lutheran friends, I don't disbelieve in the third use of the law, which that's really inside, like inside theology baseball. Um, there are some people that, that really are suspicious of, of using the law to teach um, um, moral living, upright living, right? Holy living. Um, and I don't disbelieve in that. I, I, I believe that, 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 I mean, you, the passage you just read from St. Paul writing to the Colossians is precisely that. Like the Christian life looks like something. It has the whiff of holiness about it. And this is how you can tell. It has these characteristics. And he goes to list those characteristics. Um, but, I, but I have heard um, very powerfully um, on, on, on podcasts and on recordings, but also in person a couple of times, Dr. Paul Zoll preached quite powerfully about John's vision of how that transformation works, that sanctification works, I guess, um, living into uh, Jesus' call to holiness. Um, and John talks about it a little bit here, Christopher, in that um, the thing that changes a heart, and Paul Zoll would argue, Lutherans would argue, the only thing that ever changes a heart is being loved, being loved unconditionally, being loved profoundly. And um, I mean, uh, my, my, my silly but real example is uh, I in, um, I chewed, you know, I, I, I've been a fingernail chewer my whole life, but for a brief period of time, I quit chewing my nails. Um, and that is because <laughs> I was made better because <laughs> a, a girl that I liked <laughs> told me, wow, your nails, uh, you, your, your nails don't look so good. And I was horrified. 
And uh, a week went by and she commented a week later, your nails look great. <laughs> and I was empowered to stop chewing my nails. Why? <laughs> because she judged um, you? What's that? Because she judged you and you were trying to live up to her. No, no, it wasn't the judgment. It wasn't the judgment. No, it was, it was the love, right? I walked on air and I was, I was given the power to do a thing that I couldn't, that I had never been able to do. Hmm. Um, and we all know this, that um, uh, the, the first time that you find, you find out that, um, that, that someone likes you um, and you, uh, it, it changes you, right? Being, being beloved changes you. Um, and so if, if a human can have that effect on you, um, God's love, how much more does that have an effect on you? And so um, I mean, we see that here, right? Um, notice what he says. He says, no longer do we call you servants. Uh, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. He's drawing them into something far more intimate. And, and that intimacy that he draws them into, that frankly, that friendship will is the only thing that will enable them to endure <laughs> what they end up. They don't know yet what, what, has, what life has in store for them, what God has in store for them. But that's the only thing that enables them to endure um, ultimately, ex all except for John, martyrdom, right? <laughs> a call to completely give up their lives. What's that hymn that you and I like? Um, they uh, cast we their pray, nets in Galilee? Yes, pray for this peace This that is no peace, right? They didn't get peace, but, but nonetheless. Peace of God, it is no peace, but strife closed in the sod. Yep. Let us pray for just one thing, the marvelous peace of God. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd say if there's any daylight between what you and I are saying, it's very slight. I find this passage, um, when I read this passage, Christopher, I don't, I don't, I guess I'm not hit over the head with law, um, but a powerful call to be, be called into, we, we, through the apostles, I mean, we're invited into this, right? Yeah. I mean, in yeah. some ways there, there's some, there's some, things that we read in the new testament that are just for the apostles but i feel like this upper room discourse this um there's a a sense in that we're called into this life this life in the of, of mutual love in the trinity right yes and this is just powerful right uh no longer i call you friends mm. i call you friends right and as you said he laid down his life for us so um i mean how can you hear that as law once you understand all that christ has done for you um, but rather an opportunity to, through holy living, um, become friends with your Lord and Savior. That to me is, is powerful. And I want a piece of that. Christopher, another thing I want a piece of is, uh, no, I don't have a good segue. We should talk about rogation.
Let's do it. <laughs> so this Sunday is Rogation Sunday, which is a new thing in our prayer book. It used to be just that there were Rogation days, uh, which Kirk, I, I, I presume you will talk about at length. But, but, <laughs> um, but uh, this Sunday is Rogation Sunday, which comes from a Latin word, which means to ask or to beg. Um, and where we ask for God's blessings. And as I look over um, just kind of the tradition of Rogation Sunday, as we ask for God's blessings on, on crops and all sorts of things in our lives, I cannot separate it from just the idea of, of, of providence, mm-hmm. um, that, that God, all things come from God, which is part of our liturgy, right? That during, um, after following our offering, um, we acknowledge that all things come from God. Yours, the power and the glory and the majesty. All things come from you, O Lord, and the people declare, and of our own have we given you. And um, we, we know that that he knows the hairs on our head, and he knows many things about us, and all good things come from him. And so uh, we ask at this time of year, um, all the there are many things that could go wrong, as we learned in the last year, pandemics, um, plague, pestilence, all sorts of things could happen to our crops, to our supply chains. Um, a blight could come upon the crops. Um, uh, disease could come upon cattle. Uh, one of my my favorite movies, uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, Interstellar. We see the Earth becoming a more and more uninhabitable place, mm-hmm. uh, and and it just. Uh, is an illustration of just like the fragility of our world and that like we exist because God holds the whole world in his hands. And uh, this Sunday we ask for God's blessing on, on the crops and all these things. And um, with, with that uh, table set, Kirk, uh, tell us all about, about asking and begging God and about beating bounds. Are we going to talk about that? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about the beating of bounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So Brogation, uh, it's interesting that we have um, some days of fasting in the midst of a feast season, right? That seems counter of tu- counterintuitive. Um, but I think Rogation days are a, a powerful and lovely reminder that our lives and seasons are in God's hands. Mm. Christopher, in modern life, um, mm. we can become quite disconnected from uh, this, this, this agrarian seasons and the cycles. Um, and, and yet Christianity, you just look at the metaphors that our Lord uses, right? Uh, mm. And the agricultural pattern really um, w- was, was, was what the, our disciples and our Lord used to make sense of the world. And what most Christians up until, you know, pick a day, you know, 1857, or when, you know, when did more people live in London than not, right? Or when did more people live in New York and Boston than not, right? Um, you know, our heritage, actually, I believe, I believe, um, more soldiers were farmers than anything else in World War II in the U.S. Army. I, be- I believe that's true. It's, uh, it's World War II is roughly kind of a pivot point in American life. So the agricultural cycles were a pattern that really helped make sense of all of humanity up until like the last 80 years. Um, and uh, you might argue um, you can't really understand um, Good Friday, the atonement, 
right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> if you're so disconnected from the cycle of, you know, raising animals and then slaughtering animals and understanding that something has to die <laughs> for us to live, right? It's just kind of um, in, in the midst of life, we are in death. Or is it midst of death? In the midst of life, we are in death, as the prayer book says in the funeral um, service. Yeah, so, so that's, uh, rogation is uh, this Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are rogation days. Uh, they're, they're days of fasting and preparation for Ascension, which is always on the Thursday after the sixth Sunday of Easter, um, because that marks uh, the 40 days since Easter. But yeah, Christopher, you want to talk about beating the bounds? We'll talk about beating the bounds. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's a small part of the tradition, but a cool part. Yeah, so so it's murky, but going back into church history, processions became a, a, a vital part of Rogation Sunday um, because how best do you pray for a bountiful harvest and for God to bless uh, the seasons of growing and harvest that are to come um, when spring comes? Well, you go through all the fields and you pray for everyone's field, right? And everyone's harvest. And that, that eventually became more systemic, uh, kind of instead of kind of wandering through the parish. Um, but you, you rather, you beat the bounds. You, you marched, you processed around the boundary of the parish, um, you know, saying prayers throughout. And, and, and so you, you may not know what a parish is, dear listener. Uh, but back when, you know, there was just one church in the English world, like there, there was an idea that like... Uh, one church's kind of boundaries butted up against another's and like everything between them, like, so everything between uh, this church and that church uh, is part of either this parish or that. And so there are boundaries between this parish and that one. And it was just a less consumeristic time. So you didn't, you know, how we speak about shopping for a church. Um, that wasn't a thing back then. Like you went to the church that was in your geographic area. And yeah. as they would beat the bounds, they would walk around the boundaries of that parish. So like our church ends here and then the next church, the, the, yeah. their um, boundaries start on the other side of that, but they would beat the bounds. Yeah. And so the, the great thing about and, this, Christopher, is Rogation openly acknowledges what we can all feel in the Northern Hemisphere during Eastertide, which is like spring is here and stuff is starting to grow and the time is time of planting is coming and just the natural elation that comes with the lengthening of days and the sun <laughs> and uh, um, uh, increased vitamin D right in Pittsburgh, our vitamin D deficiency finally goes away. Right. And so it's praying for God's blessings upon all of that. And I just want to read very briefly um, from this is Eamon Duffy's the stripping of the altars, uh, traditional religion in England, 1450 to 1580. This is really a seminal, um, book on English Christianity in the 15th century. So um, let me read this. Late medieval rogation tide processions with handbells, banners, and the parish cross were designed to drive out of the community the evil spirits who created division between neighbors and sickness in man and beast. They were also designed to bring good weather and blessing and fertility to the fields. Structured round the singing of the litany, the procession set the earthly community of the parish within the eschatological community of heaven in much the same way as did the ranks of saints painted on the screens before which the parish assembled for mass on Sundays. But the rogation processions were also rituals of demarcation, quote, 
beating the bounds, unquote, of the community, defining its identity over against that of neighboring parishes and symbolizing its own unity in faith and charity. The sense of unity on such occasions was very strong. Processions from neighboring parishes, <laughs> which happened to converge, might come to blows, in part because they believed that the rival procession was driving its demons over the boundary into their <laughs> parish. That's really funny. Those who absented themselves from sub such processions, and even from their lesser reflections held before Mass each Sunday, were seen as bad neighbors. Um, George Herbert, writing in the 1630s, exactly captured this dimension of the traditional rogation tide observances. Forgive me my fumbling tongue here. Quote, and this is from George Herbert, whom we've talked about and I love. Particularly the country parson loves procession and maintains it because there are contained therein four manifest advantages. First, a blessing of God for the fruits of the field. And, and you and I just talked about that. Second, justice in the preservation of bounds. Third, charity in loving, walking, and neighborly accompanying one another with reconciling of differences at that time, if there be any. Fourth, Mercy in relieving the poor by a liberal distribution and largesse, which at that time is or ought to be used. That's interesting. I love that. Wherefore, he exacts of all to be present at the perambulation. That means the, the, the priest yeah. wants everyone, all, everyone in the parish to, walk, to be yeah. involved. Yeah. And those that withdraw and sever themselves from it, he mislikes and reproves as uncharitable and unneighborly. Uh, there was uh, one of the Bronte sisters. You remember the Bronte sisters? Their, they were, mm -hmm. their father yeah. was a, a cleric, was a priest in the Church of England. Um, and I think they were in the north, in Yorkshire or uh, one of those northern counties. But in one of, uh, in one of the, the Bronte novels, I think it's Villette, um, there is a, 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 I should have had this prepared. I should have thought of this, Christopher. It's great. Um, they're beating the bounds. They're doing this. Mm. And um, unlike, I've complained to you about this, Christopher, um, most fiction, whether on paper or on film, um, makes uh, clergy seem either like villains or fools. Yeah. Villains, yeah. fools, or leches, right? Like um, secretly, morally rotten, right? Um, but he's great. This guy's great. The, the, the priest is great. But you know what he's angry about? this rogation Sunday, those Methodists <laughs> who aren't in the procession. That's <laughs> <laughs> a fuzzy memory I have. Um, but yeah, so it was a sense of parish unity. And Christopher, I didn't know anything about this, right, until St. Christopher's. Um, and I remember my first rogation Sunday, um, our priest liberally, what's that called? The asperges, when you uh, take that thing and you dip it in holy water and you fling it. Um, and I loved it that we were openly, we, we devoted a whole Sunday to openly praying God's blessings and bounties on the whole community and all therein um, and praying for a good harvest because the fact is we aren't disconnected uh, from the agricultural cycle. In fact, as we saw um, last April and May when we had suddenly a dramatic meat shortage, by the way, do you know this? There's a chicken shortage right now chicken wings <laughs> like i didn't know reasons, that but i know beef prices uh, are up yeah. yeah it's a byproduct of the pandemic like yeah um people are low at, and anyway uh, unless you notice the meat shelves last april and may um we are actually really dependent um it's just that instead of half of all humanity or two-thirds of all humanity working on farms now it's under five percent right mm. um but we still need to pray for this this is a, a real thing and and we are connected to the land and um 
and it, and it matters. And if we are not good stewards of the land, um, it will bear bad fruit. Kirk, so if I may I say about that, yeah, if I may say one thing, and then we can transition to our culture segment. Yeah. Uh, I I'm just going to repeat what I said last week. Uh, we're going to sing the great hymn. Uh, we plow the fields and scatter uh, this Sunday. And uh, I'm just going to read the first verse that encapsulates this idea so well. We plow the fields and scatter the good seed on the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. He sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain, the breezes in the sunshine and soft, refreshing rain. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord for all his love. Amen. And this Sunday, um, when we beat the bounds, um, I intend to beat the bounds properly, the way God meant us to, with a lightsaber. Uh, this past Tuesday was May 4th, which in one of the nerdiest, most beautiful puns in the English language has become informally known as Star Wars Day, because you get to walk around saying to people, may the 4th be with you. And, and also with you. <laughs> um, that is not the proper Jedi response. Do you know? I know, um, but that's the proper Anglican response. Yeah, it is the proper Anglican response. The Lord be with you. I suppose, Kirk, you're, you, you, you have stuck with and with your spirit. And we with have, your spirit. We have gone with the more Ed, uh, colloquial and also with you. So. Et cum spirito tuo. It's not a proper translation of the original Latin mass. Anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> anyhow. Um, what was he saying? Lord be with you. Oh, the proper Jedi response. A silent nod. A solemn <laughs> silent nod. So may the force be with you. And then you just solemn, solemnly nod. And you're on your way. All right. When Qui-Gon Jinn wishes you that the force be with you you don't like give him some like guff <laughs> nod and you uh, go off and do his bidding all right star wars <laughs> um I mean, we've wars. We've, re we've reserved a whopping 10 minutes to talk about yeah we can talk a little bit more because we can do 15 minutes here okay it's that this is this conversation is this vital <laughs> to our spiritual well-being star wars is an american epic space opera media franchise created by george lucas um, which began with that film, the eponymous film, Star Wars, in 1977, and quickly became a worldwide pop culture phenomenon. This franchise has expanded into various films and other media, uh, including television series, video games, novels, which I've just in the last couple of years begun to dip my toe into, along with my son, comic books, 
Likewise, ditto there. Theme park attractions, Christopher, which I am going to see this summer. I'm going to see the new uh, expanded Star Wars section at Hollywood Studios. And themed uh, all comprising an all-encompassing fictional universe, which we now get to argue angrily over with our long <laughs> knives out after J.J. Abrams like officially cut half that half the good stuff out of the canon when he created a new garbage canon six years ago. In 2020, Christopher, what do you think its total value was estimated at? I don't know, 25 billion. 70 billion dollars. <laughs> Wow. Um, which makes it the fifth largest media franchise in the world after only Pokemon, Hello Kitty, Winnie the Pooh, and Mickey Mouse and Friends. So <laughs> it is the fifth largest media franchise in the world. Um, and you and I, I think we wanted to talk not about any particular film, uh, but about just kind of um, that the whole media franchise and its effect on us. And then we'll end with a ranking and we get to maybe yell at each other a little bit about our rankings. Uh, you and I were born maybe just a little late, but basically at the right time. Um, this, uh, the original film came out in 1977. I was born in 1979. So, you know, as a kid in the eighties, um, I was there on the ground when all of this happened. Um, and I just uh, unironically, uh, full-throatedly adored the original trilogy, only later realizing that um, uh, Return of the Jedi, particularly the second half, was was not great cinema, um, but the first two were great. Christopher, um, I was a freshman in college when the uh, when the prequels came out, and was at 1999, the spring of 99. So you would have been in high school. So I was just old enough to recognize that George Lucas was accidentally breaking something beautiful. So I'm on that divide. I'm that Gen Xer that, that loves the originals and hates the prequels. And I'm sure uh, you might have a different take. I don't know. Um, fortunately, uh, we can talk a little bit about the, um, the final trilogy. But in the last 15 years, um, the franchise, really probably the beating heart of the franchise, has been these movies series, these animated movie series that have come out. Um, not movies, television series, okay. um, Star Wars Rebels, uh, The Clone Wars, to a lesser degree, Resistance, and then most recently, a live action, The Mandalorian. Well, and a, and a new... Uh, Bad Batch. Yeah, a new animated series just debuted this week on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, so even as they're laying an egg and um, kind of laying waste to much of the legacy with this last trilogy of films, um, I think probably creating a lot of new fans um, with these new series... Um, Christopher, um, were you born at just the right time? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I have friends who just don't get the whole Star Wars thing. And I get that. I mean, if, if you are to wade into these movies as an adult or, or maybe not even wade in, just kind of like catch glimpses here and there, you might be like, I don't see what the big deal is. But if you were a four or five-year-old first, uh, when you're first in, encountering princess leia and darth vader and the death star and the <laughs> millennium falcon i mean one funny thing is is that it it wasn't until i was an adult that i really realized what a hunk of junk the millennium falcon is because yeah. the whole the whole movie they're talking about how it's a hunk of junk and it right. doesn't work and all this stuff but as a kid i just thought it was so cool because the heroes drove that thing i mean it was just a cool spaceship because i was just i was amazed by the whole thing the whole thing and uh, it's it's 
truly, truly remarkable what George Lucas did in those first three films. And it's interesting. We see this in other franchises. Uh, Kirk, I, I think The Matrix is a perfect movie. Yes. I watched the second movie and I was so horrified. I never watched the third and they're coming out with a fourth one. George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney for $6 billion, not because he needed money, but I think he just wanted out from the burden of like this legacy of the fan Mm -hmm. criticism of, of coming out with these, uh, of, of making these three movies that are wildly popular waiting. What? 15 years coming out with another three that are the reviews are mixed. And then that was just so hard for him to bear. And uh, it's, it's almost miraculous that the first three movies are as good as they are. Kirk, have you ever seen the, there's a documentary. I don't remember the name of it, but it's basically about the making of the original trilogy. Uh, no, S- send it to me. Of course I would watch it. Okay. I, I would, I would watch it tonight. <laughs> it's really good and really interesting. I, I mean, I think it's like the authorized, you know, version, but it still is just really big insight into just the difficulties um, of, of producing these movies. I mean, first thing, like this was in an era before green screens, like right. everything was on location. So part of star Wars is based on exotic locations. Tunisia. <laughs> Yeah, like tourism industry in Tunisia going to see the original Tatooine sets. And they actually had to do some upkeep on them because the desert was reclaiming the original set. Yeah, and you had to bring all the people there and have good weather. And 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 uh, um, so so, I mean, it's remarkable uh, to be able to do that. Um, And uh, like financially, like these were expensive movies and the idea of a blockbuster wasn't really quite a thing yet. I mean, there have been big movies before Ben Hur and this and that. Jaws even Jaws. Out? Even when Jaws. We say Jaws is the first blockbuster. Yeah. First, certainly summer blockbuster, and but it's so, right there. It's, it's it's right within the first several years. Of it's the right there. But the, the but the idea, yeah, the idea of of investing a ton of money in the production of a movie and then like having a franchise with the lunchboxes and and merchandise, Kirk, it wasn't a thing, and and this is how Lucas was able. Lucas. The big coup was he nabbed the rights yeah. to the merchandising. Yeah. Um, and and it was just a perfect storm, Kirk, of like set design, of costume design. Like the stormtroopers look so cool, and Darth Vader looks so cool, and like all these just miracles that just happened. Like originally, Darth Vader was gonna be the the actor was gonna be the voice. Yeah. Um, the Scottish Have you ever heard like, his voice. Yes. Yeah. It's just it's so weird. He's like, hey. Da, 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 da. He yeah, have it would not have worked. And originally, of James Earl Jones, yeah. And and like even Lucas, like he had a vision, um, that was an amalgamation of like Kurosawa and Flash Gordon, like a bunch of these kind of and, he stole from like liberally from a lot of different things, and so like even uh, what's the name of the actor who plays C three PO? Anthony no. Daniels. Anthony yes, Daniels yes. was the one who came to him with the whole concept behind like this like. Uh, like robot butler, like this, uh, like originally that was not what C-3PO was going to be like. And Anthony, Anthony Daniels nailed it. So it was a perfect storm of like things coming together. Um, but even like Kirk, even after the first movie, which was such a hit, there was all kinds of studio skepticism, um, for the second and the third one. And, and Lucas was 
in over his head as far as like directing and writing and overseeing right. the franchise and and had to step back from both the directing and the writing and so anyway i'm just saying like it's an it's it's miraculous what we got and it's amazing and it was just a really hard thing for him to continue this and yeah and and um the part of the lightning that he ca- captured in the bottle was this concept of space opera so mm. it's been pointed out i've seen essays written um explaining that in the first half of the 1970s uh and you get a little bit of this in um, ooh, what's the uh, what, what's the movie? Planet of the Apes? The Planet of the Apes. Uh, so much of the 1970s science fiction was dystopian. Yeah. And um, and it's if you watch it now, it's the soundtrack is time locked, in very mm-hmm. like 1970s bound it down like this like stuff like that. Um, but and it's bleak. It's not ago, happy. It's not John Williams. Right. You know? <laughs> right. So you get this Wagnerian sweeping um, opening fanfare a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then you get this face full of brass and the fanfare. And it's not ironic. It's not dystopian. Um, it's not slant-eyed, uh, worried about a post-human future. Um, it is just uh, shoves a bowl full of popcorn in your lap, smashes you into the back of your seat and tells you you're going to get something swashbuckling, something operatic, something wide-eyed and unironic which was not redolent of the 1970s, which was uh, kind of a, a cynical and degenerative decade in terms of just kind of the general mood and art and cinema at the time. Um, so it was, it was quite unlike what had come before. So, so in terms of influences, yeah, there's, there's kind of the Wagnerian, this large sweeping opera. You've well, and, and you mentioned motifs. Wagner. I can't think of Wagner without thinking uh, of the leitmotif, which yeah. is used liberally by John Williams. Like Absolutely. he seems like, especially in, in Empire Strikes Back, every time you see Darth Vader, you get the empire theme. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 And um, also, there's this Pulp Fiction uh, influence lurking in the background. Are you familiar with John Carter of Mars? Oh yeah. Yeah, I read, I, so I went in like 2011, 2012, 2013, I went through all of those or maybe two thirds of those. And um, that is the concept of Jedi. <laughs> he didn't even bother to change the name and John Carter of Mars, they're Jeddak, kind of this <laughs> uh, ascetic warrior cast. They're the Jeddaks and they, um, instead of the force, they can read minds. Um, so they, they have kind of these powers. Uh, yeah, and uh, you you combine that with a, a fascination, a childhood fascination with samurai stuff, um, and you mentioned that, and that's what Darth Vader's helmet is. If you look at it, yeah. it's a samurai yep. helmet, right? Yeah. And so you just get a wide-eyed boy with all these pop culture uh, flotsam and jetsam that are swimming in his head. And the great thing about George Lucas is he's unironic, right? And that's a problematic when you let him write dialogue. It turns out his dialogue <laughs> is super stilted and terrible and earnest. But he earnestly, like he's got this vision for this 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 universe this that, that that's created by like a a boy, a wide eyed boy, right? Um, yeah. So the the best movies are the movies where he doesn't write the dialogue. Like all our favorite hmm. lines are yeah. from The Empire Strikes Back, right? Yeah. I yeah. love you. I know, right? <laughs> I am your father. All that, all that stuff. He did, are the movies where he wasn't. Um, uh, he he didn't have access to the script. Um, but yeah, Christopher, we should do a ranking. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, we should. Go ahead. I was I was going to say something, but I totally forgot. So g- give okay. me a ranking. Can Can you give me one of your world famous interruptions when you remember it? <laughs> sure. Okay. So oh, uh, oh, hey, hey! I remembered. <laughs> you mentioned. Um, you did not disappoint. A lot of people who who uh, don't know 
exactly what Star Wars is, call it science fiction. Because like anything in space is science fiction. Right. Yes. And and like no, it's, it's not. not science fiction. Uh, here's like they are not cons- Kirk. You described a little bit of of um the expanse and how much you yeah. love the, the expanse because the expanse is true science fiction like yeah. it actually thinks about what it means to like have vehicles moving in space right. whereas like nobody explains why there's gravity on the Earth's gravity oh. not just gravity 9.8 meters per second squared with like the center of gravity down right so like the ship is like driving yeah. forward like you wouldn't a car Right? Right, it's not right. thrust gravity like that's created like, by your nobody's concerned with that yeah. like they, they they don't care about realism as far as the the explanation for how the ships they just want to make well, they just want to look awesome right they want it to look awesome right great right, right. yeah exactly <laughs> that's all that's all that's all i want to say is that it's 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 not uh scientific at all it's just awesome it's an immersive world yeah it's yeah. a world that you wish you could be a part of and that is how you know it and successful. i mean the other thing is like the, the idea of like uh wh- however fast they're going when they go uh what do they call it like do they say light speed or light is speed. it light speed light speed yeah. do you realize how slow light speed is yeah like they're able to travel from galaxy to galaxy like things that would take literally years yeah you look at <laughs> you look up into the sky at night and that light from that star <laughs> like left that star you know, make up a uh, 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and they're doing this in a matter of, matter of hours. So right. like none of it makes sense and it's okay. Yeah. All right, Kirk, yep. let's hear your ranking. I agree with all of that. That's a great point. Okay. Movies first. Number one, Empire Strikes Back. Number two, A New Hope. Number three, Rogue One. Number four, The Force Awakens. Ugh, that's my first, uh, I, th- I think, controversial one. Number five, Return of the Jedi. Just because the final third includes Ewoks. Number six, Solo. Seven, Revenge of the Sith. Eight, Rise of Skywalker. Nine, Phantom Menace. 10, Attack of the Clones. 11, the Star Wars Christmas special. 12, a YouTube video with 10 hours of Chewbacca howling. 13, a 10,000 hour YouTube video of C-3PO demonstrating fluency in 6 million languages. 14, a thousand hours of Jabba the Hutt flagellating. Flagellating. 15, 5,000 hours of Anakin Skywalker angrily muttering that the Jedi Council doesn't understand. 16, a YouTube video with a month of Vogon poetry. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy shout out right there. (laughs) 17, my face smashed against my keyboard. 18, The Last Jedi. (laughs) All right, do you have a ranking? You rank The Last Jedi below the prequels, huh? I mean, I can't quibble all that much. I mean, like, I... Kirk, I have very little affection for the prequels. Um, so uh, I'm going to do the proper order of ranking, uh, worst to best. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Star Wars Episode One: A Phantom Menace. Star Wars Episode Two, <laughs> whatever it's called. Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Star Clones. Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, The Empire is Still Alive. Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last <laughs> Jedi. Return of the Jedi, Solo, The Force Awakens, Rogue One, A New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back. Wow, our top six are identical, Christopher. No, I have I have Solo above Jedi. Okay, okay, I, I and I Je- Jedi I have... has too much. Like like the only ones available now are Lucas's reworking, yeah. which include way more of that puppet dancing yeah. and like way too much singing at Jabba's palace. Yeah, the uh, the Tatooine, the stuff on Tatooine is great. And then it, then, then after that, 
but but the Ewoks are the Viet Cong, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Mandalorian's great. Uh, Kirk, do you have a ranking of, of the animated series? I do. Number one, Star Wars Rebels. I love it so much. I, I love it because it um, it acknowledges uh, very uh, very subversively what simultaneously J.J. Abrams was writing out of the canon, right? So Admiral Thrawn is a major mm-hmm. character in Star Wars Rebels, who was a fan favorite in the novels, who was ready to go as a villain for J.J. Abrams. And he was like, nah, all you nerds just shut up and go away. I have my own good idea, which turned out to be a terrible idea. But actually, sure. I like Kylo Ren. He's like one of the only good things about uh, there are aspects of Star Wars Rebels which are juvenile and a little bit frustrating. Like Ezra is a little bit whiny sometimes, yeah. and and it's like just trust me, Kanan, just trust me. <laughs> like there are times that, that that's a little bit obnoxious, but if you can deal with that, it's a very very good series. That's, oh yeah, that has that has a a really good arc. Like I really like yeah. the arc of 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 Ezra growing. Um, I I don't love like his like just trust me and like him being kind of duped by Darth Maul but the, but there's like or by Maul but there's yeah. some really cool stuff there especially like how like the ending like the last season's really good yes yeah absolutely uh number 2 Star Wars Clone Wars that's fun and um Ahsoka Tano I think is the greatest Star Wars heroine uh not um not Rey huh not Rey uh, and, and not Princess Leia. I, I actually, oh, Sokotano is awesome. I'm such a, such a fan of hers. I was so glad to see her in the Mandalorian. Oh, that was awesome. That, that was, and, and we're going to see more of her, won't service. we? What's that? Aren't we going to see more of her I too? Hope. Is she's going to be in a future series? I believe. I hope. I don't remember. Number three, the Mandalorian. And this is no insult to the Mandalorian by putting it beneath okay. uh, the two animated series. I just love the two that much. And I would rewatch all of them again. Uh, and then number number four, Droid Tales. Droid Tales are fun. They are fun. Number five, Yoda Chronicles. Number six, Star Wars Resistance, which I didn't even make it through season one. So okay, it's it's not good. You okay. you agree? It's not good. I haven't seen it. Like eh, so, it, like I I feel bad like watching these things apart from my kids. So uh, <laughs> my kids weren't interested. I showed them like one episode and they and they wouldn't watch it. So I was like, okay, well I guess I don't know. I guess I won't watch this. So we'll we'll try again with this new. Uh, have you watched the new, uh, what's it called? Uh, Bad Batch. Yes, Bad of Batch? course okay. I watched. Yeah, absolutely. How was it? How was it? I loved it. I yeah. loved it. Do you yeah. know the premise? Nope. So the premise is, um, do you remember Order 66? When the clones turn on the Jedi, um, they, they have to because they've got like this um, chip in the brain or something. Chip, right? Okay, so this Bad Batch, they're these, these special ops, you know, these five guys who have special ops. Um, and they, they are their their x-men power <laughs> to mix universes is that they can go off script like the problem with the clone is they can't go off script right so they're great at following orders and they're not great at like figure improvising what to do when the mission goes sideways and so okay. the bad batch is great because they just go in and make crap up um and they fix bad situations so mm. but but order 66 happens when this happens this is not a spoiler this happens the first seven minutes of of this okay. first episode um and they watch the, uh, the clones turn on their commanders, they're on their Jedi, and they're like, whoa, we don't want any part of this, and they disappear into the woods. And so- Interesting. Yes. So they have to go back, and they're kind of playing a double game, because now the Republic is gone, and it's the Empire, and it becomes increasingly clear, like, these guys are going to be a problem. And so what are they going to do? I'm very curious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, is Dave Filoni a producer on this series? Yes. Yep. Okay. His name was the first in the credits. Okay. 
Yeah. Yep. So he, he's kind of the, the mastermind behind Rebels and, and a lot of the successful stuff. And and it's interesting. I, I it's He must have not have been on Star Wars Resistance. I don't know. Like I'd have to check. I guess my yeah. point is that uh, Star Wars movies are so expensive to make that there's a high standard set for success of yes. Star Wars movies. And, and even the, the live action TV shows like Mandalorian are very expensive to produce as well. Um, Despite the so, new technology. Yeah, in like, spite of that. The sets can be simpler, yeah. But like uh, animation, like you can do things that like are harder that are hard to do um, in in live action. So I wonder if we'll just see continued stories being told in animation. Yeah. Do you have a ranking of the series? Uh, no, I don't. What's your favorite? Uh, I mean, The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, and then Rebels. Uh, I, I like a lot. I, I I haven't really gotten into the Clone Wars, but like oh, it's man. interesting that you get into the Droid Tales and Yoda Chronicles. Those are both Star Wars Lego yeah. properties, and I I'm amused. I know not everyone loves the Star Wars Lego or just Lego stuff in general. I right. I I enjoy the Lego stuff. It's funny. It's hey. it's it's like self deprecating. Like they make fun of like the bad dialogue in the movies, which is great. Yeah. Um, are we going to see when, what year will we see the next star Wars feature film? Oh boy. <sighs> it's spring I, of 2021. Got a, is that what it is? No, no. Oh, you're saying it okay. is right now. So yeah. what, I'm like, when will we see the next feature film? And, and they haven't announced, have they? Um, I've got to think they're they're They won't wait that long. Of course, part of that depends on the economics of, of movie theaters. Like if people return to movie theaters, here's the problem. Here's the problem. So um, Star Trek was able to make crappy movies that everyone went to see because you had characters that people loved, right? Uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, et cetera, right? And then the next generation, Picard, Data, et cetera. Um, who do people love of this new set? I mean, I like Kylo Ren. <laughs> well, they're not going to—they're not going to continue though with with these new characters. Like that right. story is done, so they got to blow it up. They yeah. have not okay. successfully launched. So they did yeah. you know, Rogue One and Solo. Uh, Rogue One was a, a, a mildly successful financially. Uh, Solo suffered from people disliking the Last Jedi. I, I absolutely believe that. I believe that it was punished for the Last Jedi sins. And yeah. so like, w would they be so ambitious as to start a new trilogy with uh, with committing that much money or uh, which which it's the trilogies, it's the episodes that have been the most financially successful um, because the standalone other two movies haven't been huge financial hits. But like that, so it, it's not clear to me like what, what direction they'll go i mean okay. they, they had greenlit all sorts of stuff um that that like they've shut down so like the the game of thrones people uh yes th they had a trilogy and ryan johnson yeah. had a trilogy yeah. and like it's, it's like oprah like you get a car and you get a car <laughs> like everyone was getting a trilogy and then like they shut all that down because they just didn't land that plane uh, of the sequels all that well so yeah. everything's kind of up in the air so and and i would we don't give, know if we don't know if if we will see another blockbuster in theaters again i would know. give here's what i would do here's what i would do i would give david filoni a kajillion dollars <laughs> how about john jab favreau how about both of them Just yeah sure yeah yeah here's all I, the money because they're both fans and they both love it. And that was always the problem, of course, with Ryan Johnson is he like secretly thought it was stupid and wanted to deconstruct it. What a subvert expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, here's, what you, here's what you're going to do. So, you know, you know how in um, 
in the Marvel universe and in the DC universe, you have parallel parallel timelines and it's just okay. You just accept that that is so, right? So like DC is thinking about a black Superman and like, it's fine that where that exists simultaneous to, you know, Clark Kent from Smallville. Um, do you know about this? Ta-Nehisi Coates is like currently writing like a, hmm. Kind of a, a thing where there will be a black Superman, and there. Okay. I just read an article. I, I heard that. I, I didn't realize there was going to be a black Superman. Yeah, I read an article yeah, in the yeah. Hollywood Reporter, like speculating who who would who the actor would be. And in any case, anyway, like, Miles Morales is going to come back and do a second turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Multiverse. We just Spider-Man. kind of yeah. accept that that's yeah. that's okay, right? Yeah. Why don't they just do the Thrawn trilogy, which is what would have come after um, the, uh, the the um, uh, what's it called? but not the Empire but the Return of the Jedi. It's what would have come after the Return okay. of the Jedi. And it, more plausibly than the First Order, explains what would and happen they can, if there was a rump of an empire left. Yeah, so they can. So you're saying that they can just do a different timeline. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're like, this and is Admiral not Thawne, the same timeline as, yeah. as the sequels. It's fine. And it would cross generations too, because Thrawn is a villain who Gen Xers like because of the books in the 90s. And he's a villain who, um, um, he's a villain who uh, younger people like because he was in Star Wars Rebels. So. Yes, and Kirk, we'll close with this because we, we really should close. I know you've got to go. Um, one of the, my favorite parts about Star Wars Rebels, not only is the character of Thrawn, but his leitmotif. Like he has a great theme. Yes, Every does. time you see him, he has this like creepy kind of music that accompanies him. So it's cool. Yes. Shall we pray? Let's pray. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Oh God, you've prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.